Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. What makes a great leader? Is it genetic or can you learn leadership skills? Join Tom Fox and Richard Lummis in this podcast, where they consider leadership from a wide variety of perspectives, academic, behavioral science, history, popular culture, the movies, and much more. You'll learn about specific tactics and strategies that you can bring to your own leadership toolkit. 12 O'Clock High is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, we look at the ancient Greek Pericles and the Roman Fabius Maximus. We take a look at both of their lives and then contrast and compare them as Plutarch looked at them. We conclude with lessons for the modern business leader from their lives. 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, this is Richard Lummis, and I'm here with Tom Fox for another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. In these discussions, we draw what we hope are interesting examples from our own experiences, history, business, literature, and politics to examine what constitutes good leadership and extract lessons we can use to improve our own leadership skills. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. This is the third in our in a series on Plutarch's lives. Plutarch was a Greek writing at the end of the first century, beginning the second century AD, during the reign of the Julio-Claudian emperors. The Roman Republic had been essentially overthrown, but some of the forms remained, such as the Senate, consuls, tribunes, etc. The book we're discussing, Lives of the Noble Grecians and Romans, is also called Parallel Lives. And it consists of a series of paired biographies, one of a Greek, one of a Roman, followed by commentary comparing and contrasting their lives. The focus of the biographies is on the moral character of the protagonist and its influence on events, but they also display many of the different strengths and weaknesses of the Greek and Roman forms of government. Today we're comparing the famous Greek statesman Pericles with the Roman general Fabius Maximus. As before, I'd seen the name of Fabius in conjunction with the Second Punic War, but knew nothing about the man. Tom, why don't you start us off with a discussion of Pericles? Uh, Thank you, Richard. Uh, I can't think of probably a more famous ancient Greek, certainly Greek statesman than Pericles. He was a statesman in general during its golden age. He was prominent and influential in Athenian politics, particularly between the Grecian, Greco-Persian Wars and the Peloponnesian Wars, and was acclaimed by Thucydides as the first citizen of Athens. He turned the Delian League into an Athenian empire and led his countrymen during the first two years of the Peloponnesian War period of the total period of roughly 461 to 429 BC, is also known as the Age of Pericles. Pericles promoted the arts and literature. He's principally through his efforts that Athens acquired the reputation of being the educational and cultural center of the ancient Greek world, but it's his building projects that probably are the most prominent feature of uh, ancient Greek world today. He started the ambitious project that generated the Acropolis uh, and uh, the Parthenon. He projected uh, beautified and protected the city He also fostered the Athenian democracy to such a powerful force that his critics called him a populist. That's an interesting twist on 21st century America. He was descended through his mother from a powerful and all and very influential Athenian family. He, along with several members of the family, succumbed to plague 
in Athens in 429, thus weakening Athens during its protracted conflict with Sparta. Although some uh, callers, scholars rather called him a populist, a demagogue, and a hawk, others admired his charismatic leadership. Plutarch uh, said he was no longer the same man as he was before after assuming leadership, nor like submissive to the people and ready to yield in and give to the desires of the multitude as a steersman to the breezes. Uh, once again, uh, Thucydides, uh, when asked by Sparta's king Archidamus whether he or Pericles was the better fighter, said without an, uh, hesitation Pericles, because even if he was defeated, Pericles would manage to convince the audience that he had won. In matters of character, he was above reproach in the eyes of ancient historians, keeping himself untainted by corruption, although he was not indifferent to money-making. For more than 20 years, Pericles led many expeditions, mainly naval ones. Uh, he was very cautious and never undertook a battle without uncertainty and peril. And he would not accede to the vain impulses of the citizens of Athens. He based his military policy on the Themistoclean principle that Athenian dominance depended on superior naval power and be believing uh, that the Spartans were near invincible on land. That was an interesting dichotomy that I think we saw play out in some unexpected ways over the course of this war. Pericles' most visible legacy today, of course, is the literature, artistic works, and architectural works of the Golden Age. The Acropolis still stands in symbol of modern Athens, and as one commentator said, uh, his masterpieces were sufficient to render the name Greece immortal in our words. Um, although he was, um, his legacy may be uh, imperialism, which denies true democracy, but during his time in Athens, I think uh, Athens uh, truly had a democratic um, uh, focus and his expansionist policies uh, were at the center of promoting that. He uh, was a statesman for the ages he is lauded as the ideal type of perfect statesman for Greece, and his funeral or oration is nowadays synonymous with the struggle for participatory democracy and civic pride. Richard, what did you find out about Fabius Maximus uh, in addition to the fact he was involved in the Second Punic War? <laughs> well, quite a bit, and uh, your description of Pericles, uh, I think we'll, we'll see a lot of, of, of true parallels in this case. Uh, Fabius Maximus Viricosus. Viricosus apparently means the warty one. He had some warts on his lips. Um, was born about 20, 280 BC and died in 203 BC. Roman statesman in general. Plutarch attributes to him an extreme mildness of temper, slowness in speaking. His long labor and pains in learning and his deliberation made those who judge superficially of him esteem him insensible and stupid. However, as a general, his reputed want of energy was recognized as a freedom from passion. His slowness in words and actions, the effect of true prudence, his want of rapidity and his sluggishness as constancy and firmness. He's consul five times and was appointed dictator twice in 221 and 217 BC. He also served as censor once. He was awarded a triumph during his first consulship for victory over the Ligurians. 
And after that, Hannibal invaded Italy as part of the Second Punic War and was basically marching around desolating the countryside, uh, trying to get the Romans to come out and fight. Fabius advised against engaging the, the army because, Han because not only was Hannibal an excellent uh, tactician and strategist, but because the army had far more experience fighting than the Romans at that time. Uh, unfortunately for the Romans, the then consul Flaminius ignored Flavius and, uh, Fabius and took the army and fought the Battle of Lake Thrasymene, where he was killed along with some 15,000 other Romans. In a panic, the Romans unanimously named Fabius dictator. His strategy from this point was simply to follow and hound Hannibal's army, always camping at night on the high ground so the Carthaginian cavalry couldn't get at him. He was, of course, accused of cowardice, both, both by his own men and by Hannibal's army. But Plutarch says Hannibal himself was the only man who was not deceived, who discerned his skill and detected his tactics. He resolved, therefore, with all the arts and subtleties of war to break his measures and bring Fabius to an engagement. Um, one of his underlings, a man named Minutius in particular, was scornful of Fabius's tactics. But Fabius said, I should be more faint-hearted than they make me if, through fear of idle reproaches, I should abandon my own convictions, be turned from one's course by men's opinions, by blame and by misrepresentation, shows a man unfit to hold an office such as this, which by such conduct he makes the slave of those whose errors it is his business to control. Shortly thereafter, Hannibal, by mistake, was led into a valley where he was basically trapped immediately crucified his guides, um, so working for him did have his risk. That night he tied torches to the horns of 2,000 oxen and drove them towards the Romans. Um, the Roman sentries panicked and Hannibal's army made his escape, giving the critics more ammunition to accuse Fabius of lack of courage, but now also lack of foresight and generalship. It was one of his signal failures as a general. Um, Hannibal attempted to provoke him further by destroying the countryside, but ordered his soldiers not to damage Fabius's personal estates. He was also criticized when he uh, engaged in a prisoner exchange, man for man, with any excess prisoners to be redeemed at 250 drachmas a head. After the man for man portion, 240 Romans were left over, and the Senate refused to pay the ransom. Fabius sold off some of his estates and paid the ransom himself. While he was recalled to Rome to assist in sacrifices, in his absence, Minutius disobeyed orders and attacked some of Hannibal's foragers. It was a minimal tactical success, but the tribune Matilius, one of Minutius's relatives, uh, extolled his uh, aggressiveness, I guess, and the people then elevated Minutius to co-generalship. Minutius then insisted on dividing the army and took his half to camp separately. Hannibal laid a trap, which he duly fell into, but Fabius had kept his men in arms and was able to rescue Minutius. Uh, Minutius gracious, graciously recognized the error of his ways and publicly submitted to Fabius. Shortly after that, Fabius laid down the dictatorship, dictatorship but one of the new consuls, Terentius Varro, decided to attack Hannibal at Cannae, one of the most studied battles in history, for the total victory over the out, uh, by the outnumbered Carthaginians. Varro fled the field, but his fellow consul, Aemilius Paulus, sought death because he'd ignored Fabius's advice to confront Varro about attacking. Some 50,000 Romans were killed and 14,000 taken prisoner. 
After this, Fabius and Claudius Marcellus were each given armies and sent after Hannibal, with Marcellus pursuing an aggressive strategy and Fabius the usual approach of shadowing Hannibal. During his fifth consulship, Marcellus fell into one of Hannibal's traps and was killed. Shortly after that, Fabius captured the town of Tarentum, for which he was awarded his second triumph. He did allow his personal envy of Scipio's fame from his conquests in Spain to make him oppose the invasion of Africa, which ultimately won the War for Rome. About that time, though, Fabius fell ill and died. His funeral expenses were defrayed by each citizen paying a small coin, thus owning him their common father. I think we can see some, some fairly interesting parallels here, but also some contrast. Tom, what did you think about this? We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back in a minute. Well, uh, I guess first, Richard, uh, I would say that uh, Pericles is known for the Acropolis, and Fabian is known either for the Fabian Society of Great Britain or the Fabian military strategy. And unfortunately, um, the people who talk about his strategy don't do it with the subtlety and nuance that you did, pointing out the positive aspect. It's simply a strategy of retreat or non, non-engagement. And I think that um, is really unfair to what Fabius was doing uh, at the time, because he, I think, accurately assessed uh, the danger Hannibal presented. So um, the, the, but what Pericles ended up failing on, I think, although perhaps it's, it's not fair to, uh, to say he failed since he died two years into the war, was his total, almost total reliance on the Athenian Navy. The Athenian Navy uh, had its way uh, during uh, the first 10 years or 15 years of the uh, Peloponnesian War, certainly until the invasion of Sicily. And, um, but they, uh, much like Hannibal, they couldn't conquer Sparta. They couldn't bring an attack to bear on the armies of Sparta. And it didn't really matter how many towns they were able to raid and destroy much like Hannibal found out when he had his way in central Italy and in Tuscany laying waste to the, to the countryside. Uh, if you can't uh, defeat the enemy's ba- uh, primary army in battle, uh, it doesn't really matter how many towns you take. And so the, um, the comparisons there, uh, I think, um, showed up uh, more between Pericles and actually Hannibal um, because I, I found at the end of the day, Pericles' strategy, once again, he did die. So perhaps he would have been able to execute it a little more uh, nuanced and, and forcefully than his successors. Uh, at the end of the day, was not, not successful. Also, his strategy to bring all of the uh, citizens of uh, greater Athens into uh, uh, Boeotia, I think, was the province into the city uh, within its long walls. He constructed long walls for protection from the army of the Spartans. Also backfired because although they were uh, originally able to do so, uh, disease and and even plague ravaged those who came in from the countryside and basically camped out inside the long walls. And I think that that drove a level of frustration uh, as well. Over my uh, life, I'd really focused on Pericles, uh, the, the, 
democratic force. Um, and then later, when I studied some of these military issues, um, and I'll say it a third time, it, it may not be fair because he did die, so he didn't get to fully execute his strategy. But it seemed to me that his strategy of controlling the waves uh, eventually failed. Yeah. Well, I think they both failed in the long game. Uh, Fabius didn't realize that ultimately Carthage had to be destroyed. And for that, Rome would have to go on the offensive, and they couldn't just shadow Hannibal forever. Um, you know, they, they went on for years and years at great cost to Rome, and perhaps a more aggressive strategy of not directly attacking Hannibal, but directly attacking Carthage, which was Scip Scipio Africanus's ultimate strategy, um, proved far more successful. Um, in politics, uh, Plutarch points out that uh, Fabius's conduct towards Minucius was much more uh, laudable than Heracles' behavior towards his enemies, who he attempted to banish um, and ostracize. But I think that that overlooks the fact that the, the Athenian democracy at the time was largely driven by politics of personal envy, I think. Um, and, and so that uh, Pericles was, in that respect, a man of his time. Um, what leadership lessons do you think we can draw for today from these two, two men? Well, uh, I would start with, with Pericles and uh, truly one of the, uh, the, the great Greek, ancient Greeks, I've, I've always felt like his orations uh, were uh, really at the top of the list and that, uh, once again, even in the 21st century, in the age of uh, social media, uh, words matter and that you can move people with speeches, number one. Number two, um, these monuments that Pericles built were not monuments to himself. The Parthenon, the Acropolis, uh, things that st stayed and, and still exist today I think can be an important lesson for the business leader that it's not about you, it's about the organization. And um, having that uh, type of mindset is, is I think, still uh, a great leadership uh, skill. And when it comes to the, to the military strategy, uh, my lesson, Richard, from Pericles is, once again, he, he may have been able to pull this off since, since we don't know, but you can't simply depend on one strategy to control the market. Um, the situation in, in the military context is always fluid. And today in the business context, uh, yesterday I was on a panel and, and someone described it as a Rubik's cube. I've uh, an analogized it to a three-dimensional chess game because for every move you make, it's not just your opponent as a counter move, it's that there are a multitude of stakeholders moving on three to five separate planes. And so that the, the nuance you must have, having one strategy uh, to either be successful or conquer, conquer the marketplace, I don't think uh, is valid in 2021 and going forward. So uh, once again, and I'll say it now for the probably sixth time, Pericles may have been able to do that. We don't know. and We'll never know. But uh, simply being the biggest uh, I think the four big tech companies in America, uh, Google, Amazon, um, uh, and others, uh, Amazon, uh, Apple uh, as well, have shown that simply being the biggest is is not 
going to guarantee you success and there's always going to be uh, issues that you have to deal with going forward. Well, I agree with that. But, and I think that uh, one of the things we can, we can draw from Fabius is perseverance in this case prevented disaster. Um, sticking to your plan does have the virtues of avoiding a, a Lake Thrasymene or, or a Kenai level disaster. But at some point, Persevering in the same strategy over and over can simply become stubbornness, and uh, and situations are much more fluid now, I think, than they than they have been in the recent past, anyway. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that, Richard. I guess the um, I learned a little bit more about Fabius Maximus than I, than I had known. I'd certainly known about the Fabian Society and the strategy name for him, <clears throat> but there really was a plan behind that strategy, and we found that out in our study of uh, his response to Hannibal's invasion of Italy. But you're absolutely right. He was not able to see the bigger picture or when the situation changed, he was not able to have the foresight to really see early on that to defeat Hannibal, they were going to have to take the fight uh, to Hannibal's home in Carthage and to make that commitment. It may have been because uh, the Romans didn't feel or uh, Fabius did not feel like the Romans were ready but it was going to take that type of all-out war, total war, to end the Punic Wars. And for whatever reason, Fabius was not able to see that until not too late, but he he was certainly not the leader on that uh, as well. Well, and I think Plutarch makes the point that at that, Plutarch at least believes that at that point, Fabius allowed himself to be blinded by personal uh, enmity and envy of someone else's success. Which is something we'll see over and over again in these in these Max biographies. The um, the destructiveness of, of personal envy, in particular, um, and how it can really cloud your judgment. Um, so it's just something to watch out for. And it's perhaps even more surprising with uh, Fabius Maximus because he he his actions were really designed to take emotion out of the equation. And not uh, be hot-headed and not make decisions based upon emotional circumstances. So, yet he was overcome by his uh, just envy, probably even hatred of Scipio. Yeah, I think I think it just proves that it's a uh, it's a problem for all of us, no matter um, how public spirited or, or um, rational we think we might be. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank you all for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time uh, for another discussion of Plutarch's Lives on 12 O'Clock High with Tom Fox. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. I hope you will join us again next week where we take up the Greek Pericles and the Roman Fabius Maximus in episode three of our series on Plutarch's Lives. This series on Plutarch's Lives on 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.